0: THE Blythedale ROMANCE by Nathaniel Hawthorne CHAPTER One. OLD MOODY The evening before my departure for Blithedale, I was returning to my bachelor apartments after attending the wonderful exhibition of The Veiled Lady, when an elderly man of rather shabby appearance met me in an obscure part of the street. "'Mr. Coverdale,' said he softly, "'can I speak with you a moment?' As I have casually alluded to the veiled lady, it may not be amiss to mention, for the benefit of such of my readers as are unacquainted with her now-forgotten celebrity, that she was a phenomenon in the mesmeric line, one of the earliest that had indicated the birth of a new science, or the revival of an old humbug. Since those times her sisterhood have grown too numerous to attract much individual notice— nor, in fact, has any one of them ever come before the public under such skillfully contrived circumstances of stage effect as those which at once mystified and illuminated the remarkable performances of the lady in question. Nowadays, in the management of his subject, clairvoyant or medium, the exhibitor affects the simplicity and openness of scientific experiment— and even if he professed to tread a step or two across the boundaries of the spiritual world, yet carries with him the laws of our actual life, and extends them over his preternatural conquests. Twelve or fifteen years ago, on the contrary, all the arts of mysterious arrangement of picturesque disposition and artistically contrasted light and shade were made available in order to set the apparent miracle in the strongest attitude of opposition to ordinary facts— In the case of the veiled lady, moreover, the interest of the spectator was further wrought up by the enigma of her identity and an absurd rumour, probably set afloat by the exhibitor and at one time very prevalent, that a beautiful young lady of family and fortune was enshrouded within the misty drapery of the veil. It was white, with somewhat of a subdued silver sheen like the sunny side of a cloud, and falling over the wearer from head to foot was supposed to insulate her from the material world from time and space, and to endow her with many of the privileges of a disembodied spirit. Her pretensions, however, whether miraculous or otherwise, have little to do with the present narrative, except, indeed, that I had propounded for the veiled lady's prophetic solution a query as to the success of our Blithedale enterprise. The response, by the bye, was of the true Sibylline stamp nonsensical in its first aspect, yet on closer study, unfolding a variety of interpretations, one of which has certainly accorded with the event. I was turning over this riddle in my mind and trying to catch its slippery purport by the tail when the old man, above mentioned, interrupted me. "'Mr. Coverdale!' "'Mr. Coverdale!' said he, repeating my name twice in order to make up for the hesitating and ineffectual way in which he uttered it. "'I ask your pardon, sir,' "'But I hear you are going to Blythedale tomorrow. "'I knew the pale, elderly face with the red-tipped nose and the patch over one eye, "'and likewise saw something characteristic in the old fellow's way of standing under the arch of a gate, "'only revealing enough of himself to make me recognize him as an acquaintance. "'He was a very shy personage, this Mr. Moody.' and the trait was the more singular as his mode of getting his bread necessarily brought him into the stir and hubbub of the world more than the generality of men. "'Yes, Mr. Moody,' I answered, wondering what interest he could take in the fact. "'It is my intention to go to Blythedale to-morrow. "'Can I be of any service to you before my departure?' "'If you pleased, Mr. Coverdale,' said he, "'you might do me a very great favour, "'A very great one?' repeated I, in a tone that must have expressed but little alacrity of beneficence, though I was ready to do the old man any amount of kindness involving no special trouble to myself. "'A very great favour, do you say? Uh, My time is brief, Mr. Moody, and I have a good many preparations to make, but be good enough to tell me what you wish.' "'Ah, sir,' replied old Moody, "'I don't quite like to do that.' "'And on further thoughts, Mr. Coverdale, perhaps I had better apply to some older gentleman or to some lady if you would have the kindness to uh, make me known to one who may happen to be going to Blythedale. You are a young man, sir.' "'Does that fact lessen my availability for your purpose?' asked I." "'However, if an older man will suit you better, there is Mr. Hollingsworth, who has three or four years the advantage of me in age, and is a much more solid character and a philanthropist to boot. I am only a poet, and so the critics tell me no great affair at that. But what can this business be, Mr. Moody? It begins to interest me, especially since your hint that a lady's influence might be found desirable. Come. I am really anxious to be of service to you.' But the old fellow, in his civil and demure manner, was both freakish and obstinate, and he had now taken some notion or other into his head that made him hesitate in his former design. "'I wonder, sir,' said he, "'whether you know a lady whom they call Zenobia?' "'Not personally,' I answered, "'although I expect that pleasure to-morrow, as she has got the start of the rest of us, and is already a resident at Blythedale. But have you—' A literary turn, Mr. Moody, or have you taken up the advocacy of women's rights? Or what else can have interested you in this lady? Zenobia, by the by, as I suppose you knew, is merely her public name, a sort of mask in which she comes before the world, retaining all the privileges of privacy, a contrivance, in short, like the white drapery of the veiled lady, only a little more transparent. But it is late. Will you tell me what I can do for you? Please— "'To excuse me to-night, Mr. Coverdale,' said Moody, "'you are very kind, but I am afraid I have troubled you "'when, after all, there may be no need. "'Perhaps with your good leave I will come to your lodgings "'to-morrow morning before you set out for Blythedale. "'I wish you good-night, sir, and beg pardon for stopping you.' "'And so he slips away, "'and as he did not show himself the next morning, "'it was only through subsequent events "'that I ever arrived at a plausible conjecture "'as to what his business could have been.' "'Arriving at my room, I threw a lump of cannel coal upon the grate, "'lighted a cigar, and spent an hour in musings of every hue "'from the brightest to the most sombre, "'being in truth not so very confident as, at some former periods, "'that this final step, which would mix me up irrevocably "'with the Blythedale affair, was the wisest that could possibly be taken. "'It was nothing short of midnight when I went to bed "'after drinking a glass of particularly fine sherry "'on which I used to pride myself in those days.' It was the very last bottle and I finished it with a friend the next forenoon before setting out for Blythedale. The end of chapter 1 read by Rick Kirchner for it to go on the web at fcit.usf.edu